peace and love, Rochester, and the world, and the United States. We want to welcome you to our Let's Get Lit platform. Today, we are going to be talking about our love letter to literacy. This is Cleonda Florence, educator, mother, activist. Peace, everyone. I am Naima Terry Atkins. I'm an educator, veteran educator, hood certified, New York, State, New York State certified in both general ed and special education. And let's get lit. Yes, and I'm pretty passionate about literacy, too. I'm Carol St. George, Director of Reading and Literacy at the Warner School at the University of Rochester. So I want to begin each interview this way. When did you fall in love with literacy? Well, I fell in love with literacy later in life. Um, I was 16 years old when I began to love to read. Um, but I did write a love letter to literacy, and it goes like this. Dearest Literacy, how can I ever begin to express the depth of my affection for you? You are the very foundation for my being, the key to unlocking the boundless world of knowledge and imagination. Without you, I would be lost in a sea of confusion and ignorance. From the time we first met, I knew that you were the one for me. The way you opened my eyes to the beauty of language, the way you guided me through the labyrinthine corridors of literature, the way you taught me to express myself in words that were both elegant and true. I knew then that I could never live without you. You have been my constant companion through the years, through joy and sorrow, triumph and defeat. Whenever I'm feeling lost or alone, I can turn to you for comfort and guidance. You are the one who understands me, who shares my deepest thoughts and feelings, who knows me better than anyone else. And yet, as I write these words, I know that I am truly and only scratching the surface of what you mean to me. You are not just a set of skills or a collection of knowledge. You are a living, breathing force, a part of my very soul. Without you, I will be incomplete, a shadow of the person I am today. So I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for all that you have given me, for the countless hours that we spent together, for the countless books that we have read, for the countless conversations we have had. You have enriched my life in ways that I could never have imagined. And for that, I am forever grateful. I love you, literacy, more than words can say. Naima Atkins. Whoa, Naima. <laughs> Following that's a really tough act, but it's just beautiful. Your words are beautiful. It's Thank literacy, truly you. literacy in action. I, I, I came to literacy in a different kind of route. I come from a long line of people who are dyslexic. My grandfather, my mother, my brother, though not me, and both of my daughters, but not my son. My mom bought kids' books for her hope chest before she even had children because it meant so much to her that they would read. And then I watched my parents struggle with my brother. Um, they wanted to keep him back in third grade, you know, and they weren't educators. They hadn't been to college. Going through a school system is really pretty hard for many people. And it was hard for them, but they were determined that he would learn to read, and they found the means to do that. And I'm sure it inspired me. And for my own girls, I was able to give them support. I had that power because I was an educator. And they came to reading through the back door. So I'm here to tell families that, and parents that kids can learn to read. All kids can learn to read. 
And my love letter to literacy was something very interesting because literacy is not just our books, but it's also the way in which we talk, how we're immersed in conversations, um, the experiences we have. So growing up, I was always immersed in spoken literacy by being at meetings and marches with my dad and my grandfather, and then to walk into their offices and seeing the books everywhere or going to my Nana's house and seeing the vinyl and listening to the words and seeing her shake her foot and vibing out to what that song was doing for her in that moment. So it made me see the importance that literacy is a lot more than what we see, a lot more than what we develop with our learners and it's joy. And I always saw joy. I always saw encouragement because my father and grandfather were doing just that, encouraging people, the joy they gave them to let them know that they can be advocates. And that is one of the most lit pieces of literacy that people often don't tap into is being your own advocate. And as parents, You are your child's first advocate and you're teaching them how to advocate for themselves. And when we are void of vocabulary, that is where you see outbursts of inappropriate behavior because they're lost for words. So thank you for sharing your love letter to literacy. Now we're going to move into Bell Hooks. She is a phenomenal author she began to have us look at love. And love is the foundational framework upon which literacy is built. Without love, how can one be lit? Carol, what are your thoughts about that? Having a passion for literacy has really been the foundation because it's so important. It's so infused into every aspect of our lives, from health to getting a job, to opening your mind, to, to really making connections with, with your world. Books can be a window so that you can see other people and their cultures. It can be a mirror so you can learn to love yourself and know yourself better. And you know, Cleanda, literacy is political. Mm-hmm. It really is an important piece that, that when we talk about, it's the most important civil rights issue of our time hmm. right now. That It's a human right. International Literacy Association, ILA, says literacy is a human right. Children have the right to read. And that's the passion that drives us. And not only is it a social justice and the social justice issue, but it's also the political piece in education where teachers are not understanding. And again, this is not a knock to teachers because myself, Naima, Carol have all come through that hallway of education, but we've also seen the damage of what teachers can do to a child through the lit process. We can name a number of scholars who were damaged by education and teachers. Malcolm X damaged, told that he could not be a lawyer. You have Meek Mills who was told that he could not be anything. And then we had Biggie Smalls and his whole album, not just a song he dedicated to the teachers, but his whole album. Naima, what are your thoughts about that? 
So being a Brooklyn Nationalist myself, home of Biggie Smalls, Notorious B.I.G., rest in peace, rest in peace, I, um, I think that's very important. And I found my love of literacy through hip hop, hip hop culture, hip hop lyrics. And um, I, I often am in classrooms with young boys and, and girls who are taken like into the culture, who are of hip hop culture, who find school to be irrelevant. But when they tap into their music, they find the joy in the bars, so to speak. And so we found a way to marry the culture and the academic rigor of the classroom. So we have a bunch of hip hop educators out here. Shout out to Chris, Dr. Chris Emden, with his work um, for those for, for black folks who teach for white folks who teach in the hood and the rest of y'all too, as well as Ratchetdemics. We found a way to merge the two and to make hip hop culture relevant as well as academic. So we're saving lives through literacy and involving um, the culture of the children and the culture of the community in the academic space. Um, is it is it hard work? Yes, it is. Is it um, revolutionary? Yes, it is. Is it difficult for most? It is, but we're we're here to do the work on the front lines. Um, but we we don't want to see anybody fall by the wayside. So we're about meeting them where they are. I think I did. I answer that question, Bradley. I think you did. You you did that very well. And the piece of this is connecting to the origins of when do we begin to look at that love letter? When do we begin to start that love letter? And it starts with the womb and. People um, were talking to me because they were like, what do you mean womb literacy? Mm -hmm. I said, well, womb literacy starts with what you speak over yourself as the mother carrying that child. Then what are you speaking over yourself? What are you allowing yourself to hear? What are you reading to your womb? So, Carol, can you go into depth about the importance of or the bare sheath of literacy beginning in the womb? You know, I'm all about this, Cleanda. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Literacy starts pre-birth. And people look at me like I'm crazy, but you're absolutely right. Because language starts before the baby is born. They're hearing your stories. They're hearing the, the noise around them, which is their developing language. And, you know, families can start reading to the to the baby before the baby's born. Because once that baby comes, you are going to be so busy changing diapers and doing all those kinds of things. You can't start a routine of reading to your baby. So if you start early, like you say, re the reading womb or read to the bump, you mm -hmm. get that child and you associated with the love of reading. It goes back to what you were talking about, that reading is love. And when the baby is born and you embrace that baby and you sit with the baby in a book, you are cuddling. It's all the affective factors. You, it is love that you're showing your child and they'll associate a book with love. And then you've hooked them for life because you're growing readers on the laps of your moms. I want to bed you and back dads. off of what you're saying, Carol, um, because oftentimes we as parents, we take the phones away and treat reading as a consequence for doing something bad. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So that we're also training the brain to see reading as a, as a consequence. And it should be an act of love, radical love. You know, so when we, when we do that, we have to think about that, parents. When we take the phones away and say, go read a book, go sit down with a book, even how we speak about books can disengage or t teach the brain of a child, you know what, books are bad, I hate this. So just to be, you know, thinking about our thinking, being metacognitive about our approach to literacy. Well, I want us to um, dive into the whole idea of stomping out, suffocation, smothering, um, echoing what you all were both saying, because um, Mary Wright Edelman, who is the president of the Children's Defense Fund, is one of the four front runners when it comes to 
not only being lit, but also introducing voices of African-American authors who are oftentimes not seen as lit enough. They're not seen as being pioneers, so to say, or good enough to walk alongside other European authors. And with that, um, there was something she said that I thought was very profound. She said, reading is an indispensable key to unlocking the door to children's dreams and unlimited potential. And this is from the forward from every child, a super reader. And I coined this question that I wanted to get the both of your thoughts. What can stamp out, smother, or suffocate children's desires to be lit? I want to speak to that because I began to learn to read for love at 16, which is very late for an ELA teacher, an English language arts teacher. And um, it was being exposed to literature that didn't connect with me culturally. I grew up in schools reading Oedipus Rex, you know, Shakespeare, and no shade to the classics or the canon, but it just didn't speak to me. I read those because they were required and I didn't want to fail or let my family down, right? That's a different motivation. So I felt suffocated, I felt smothered by the demand that, wasn't, I, was, that I wasn't connecting to. It wasn't until I was in seventh grade that I got into um, African-American history and began to be exposed to different types of authors like Dr. Ben, you know, Dr. Um, so many doctors, <laughs> Marimba Ani, um, Dr. Um, Dr. Clark. It was so many different, you know, people. But um, yeah, choosing a book because of the cover, you know, seeing something about the book, um, having choice, having choice is so powerful, you know, whether it's on my reading level or not. Just having the freedom to choose is something that I feel is important and, and empowering, right? Um, and not being stuck in a certain corner of, of the library. If it's a young adult novel that I'm interested in, if I'm, you know, seven or eight years old, let me venture off into that side, but don't just limit me to this one area of the space. Absolutely. It, it, it boggles my mind that we keep certain books because they're not the right level, yeah. or, they're, or they're, you know, that's too difficult for you. We, we want kids to have a choice. It's the, the greatest way for um, building motivation. Choice and motivation go hand in hand. And you know, learning to read, it, it takes a risk. It takes a relationship. Because if a child has had difficulty learning to read, they're going to be less likely to take an academic risk when it comes to a word they don't know. Sometimes kids will look at me and they'll, they'll wait for me to give the answer. I'm not going to be there every time they get it. I need to make them feel confident about Absolutely. themselves, give them what they need so they can approach that text or book with confidence mm -hmm. and building their repertoire, their vocabulary, Absolutely. their confidence, building their efficacy, the whole idea that they've chosen a book and it's exciting and they want to read it is motivating. And, you know, this brings us to the idea about influence. We talked about the importance, the three of us offline, about how athletes or rappers um, or people that have a great or grand platform 
and not being lit. And just for those who want to know, because I failed to let you know what lit is, it's not just a piece of fire that we're talking about to put up under our youth and our parents and our community, but it's liberation. And lit stands for liberating individuals through literary text. And the one thing people can't do that my grandfather taught and taught me he said, once something enters the halls of your mind, no one can take it out. I don't care what they do, where they move you, what they take away from you. They can never take away what has been implanted into the halls of your mind. So it brought us back to something that LeBron James did this week that we talked about, the three of us with um, the game and the young lady came up to him with the I Promise book which he also created a school in his neighborhood and created a promise to those scholars and their parents to give them, afford them opportunities that he was not afforded. And to see that young lady being captured by someone so grand in her eyes to see a book that he wrote for them, to them, and to see her, see him pen a literary note to her, the emancipating experience that that young black girl had and other black boys and girls that saw that moment and saw that athlete that humbled himself and remembered he's a parent first, athlete second in that moment. What, what are your thoughts when you saw that caption of LeBron James being lit at a very important basketball game? It was really very powerful. That's what we need. We need people to be the champions of literacy. I, you know, I said to you, we need billboards all over. It says, have you read with your child today? What book are you reading? We need to talk about literacy. And you're so right that we can get these champions, athletes, pe people on TV, all sorts of people that children look up to, that look like them, that have lived their lives and are saying literacy matters. Because if we realize how important it is, and if people, parents, and everyone says literacy is the answer, then we've really mastered this. I talk about influence a lot. And um, you know, at one point, it wasn't okay to be a follower. Now, you know, you look at how many followers you have or who you're following, right? Mm -hmm. How times have changed, right? And so I say, you know, what if I have, I always go back to hip hop because I teach, I teach through hip hop in my class. I said, what if we take the lyrics of our favorite hip hop artists and we print them out and we read them? And the words of the lyrics are the code that we live by. What would be the, what would be the, what would the streets look like? What would our communities look like? And they've said how they look right now, miss. You know, people are robbing and killing and stealing and, you know, women out here just doing it. And I said, okay, so how should we reimagine our culture and, and the lyrics that we choose to ingest, not just, you know, and digest, you know, sonically, you know, and just have them have a call to action about choosing wisely what you ingest, what you intake, because it is nutritious what you listen to. And for me, my hip hop, I see my hip hop taught me new words. Mm -hmm. I learned the word ubiquitous from the Tribe Called Quest. You know Talk what I'm saying? It. So Talk I was like, what it. new words has your, has your hip hop, your favorite MC taught you today? And it, so one little kid said, you know, Miss Atkins, I learned that stick means gun. I had to shake yeah. my head. He's like, you know, I'm not judging. I'm not judging, Synonym. but you know. <laughs> okay. but, but, 
But again, you know, I'm, I'm reaching them where they are, yeah. and it's no judgment, but it's just like knowing how to and where they are to know how to bring them, bring them to a level, right? To have them be critical thinkers about what they are ingesting. Um, one more thing I was gonna say about that. Instead of having the money phone to the ear, you know, as we pose in pictures, we should have books in our faces. You know, books open with the, with the flames coming out and getting lit. You know, academically, it just yeah. with our lexicon, building that up rather than building up, you know, stacks of whatever else. Paper. You know, <laughs> paper, <laughs> right? So. And you know what that that currency, and I think that is the piece that we're talking about. Cultural currency is mm-hmm. cultural currency through literacy, and this is what Bell Hooks was talking about about love and experiences, and how does that weave a basket? for us how do we create hope when you're listening to and this is what is very telling when the both of you said what you said many of our lyricists today had the same broken lit experience so all they can draw from is the broken limited vocabulary that they were exposed to many of them don't respect the lyricists of the past so they don't go to them and they use this limited oh i'm hood i'm hood rich well why don't we change like they do everything else every day why don't we change what hood rich really means and looks like how about we change like i said to a very a uh, couple of politicians i said i don't care if you're doing a state of the state a state of the art the state of the community why don't you state what book you are reading before you state your address why because it's getting people to understand at every level if we're not reading on a consistent basis for fun what is the difference for reading for learning reading for understanding, reading to build vocabulary, because all those genres are like a food palette. If you don't begin to understand that you have to expose yourself like a connoisseur, that's why I love Top Chef, because it opens you up to a literary palette to understand that everything is not going to be sweet like some ice cream. You're going to have to get those Brussels spouts and, you know, chop them up. You're going to have to get it genres are not always going to be appealing. And this was the conversation. And and Carol, you could speak to this. What happens when we do not afford our scholars a nonfiction palette at an earlier age? What deficits are we creating when everything is so fantasy? Yeah. Yeah. The the idea of offering all sorts of, of genres is so important. You know, the whole idea of going back to the fact that literacy is a social practice. Literacy is infused in everything that we do. So once kids see that everywhere around them, there are signs, it has, it has to do with every aspect of their life. I'm always surprised when I see little kids, because I make a point of saying, oh, what does your shirt say? And they go, what? Your, you know, I, my shirt. And I'm like, oh yeah, you've got words on it. And you've got words on your shoes and you've got words. And, and I point out to them that I can read their shirt. They don't even know what it says. Mm. They're wearing literacy. It's everywhere. And like you said, Cleonda, there is so many different ways to approach text, poetry, mm-hmm. lyrics. Yeah. We, we can give kids opportunities to approach different for, forms of literacy until something really takes, takes their spirit and it opens up their world. I know that many of us, we um, battle between having our phones and our tablets and our screens, just period, right? But I think that one way we can be um, solution-oriented is to have our young people see us reading. 
you know, be building a culture of you seeing, because children learn by what they see us do. Mm-hmm. And so if I'm always on my phone checking my comment section and looking at how many likes I have, okay. and I tell my kids to go get a book, right. that's being contradictory. That's not, you know, living and being true to my words. So have a home library and building a culture of them seeing parents reading and getting around the table and talking about what books that they read. What books are you reading, Mom? What books are you reading, Auntie? Wait a lot. What books are you reading, right? And so it's important that we, um, again, show and grow. Well, you know what? It's so interesting when you're talking about something that you love and are so passionate about, the time escapes us so quickly. So we're going to end with this question and end with a poem by one of my favorite people, Tupac Shakur, who I went and spent my last $25 in 1996, Coconut (laughs) Grove, to get that double CD. Um, We talked about the deficit model. But one of the things I want us to end with is what can ignite children passion to crave literacy? What do we need to do different to ignite that? What can we do? Make it sexy, make it appealing. You know, we are we are people who are enticed by sensationalism. So maybe have again, have mascots, have your favorite team artists, people who you look up to be um, models of the, of the expectation. That's what I think. You sure. have, a, have a whole campaign. It was like vote or die, no read or die. You know, it's that serious. <laughs> it's that right serious. Naima, <laughs> I'm done speaking. Yeah, and, and you're right about being a role model. Everywhere we are, literacy is. It's a menu. If you're going to a food store, look at all the words around us, right? You are walking down the street. Look, this is literacy. We live literacy. It's absolutely the most important thing. You know, I always say I'm not being overly dramatic when I say literacy is life changing. Mm-hmm. Let kids know that. It's empowering. They get the power to read. It expands their minds. It expands the way they see themselves. It it expands their way of communicating. Literacy is the key. You know, it's the antidote to poverty, right? Mm -hmm. Mental poverty especially. And this is the way I would like to end that question. And I know some people may feel away after I say this, but I was at a lit conference and Christopher Endon said, the suckers. You got to identify who the suckers are and the haters and the, haters. And the <laughs> suckers and the haters that are impacting our children's love and passion is big business has no business in our business of education because just because you have a doctor in front of your name does not give you the right to step into a lane you have no experience about. Now let's move over to the other group that is a part of the Uh, killers and that is these ignorant reading wars I've never heard anything so ignorant in my life that says you have to dismiss or uproot or you uplift if I need vocabulary I need fluency if I need fluency I need whole language if I need whole language I need phonemic awareness if I need phonemic awareness I need someone to read to me if I need someone to read to me I need pictures if I need pictures I you see that whenever we allow the money grabbers to now use our children and prostitute them for their own wealth that is where we have to step in as a community but if the village is not healthy if the village is not aware of what to demand then we get caught up in the reading wars 
we get caught up in big business because we're looking for the next best thing. So I want to thank Dr. Carol St. George. I want to thank Naima, the hood certified educator that's out here. And New York State certified, by the way. Bam, <laughs> that part. And then I want to thank myself, Cleanda. But I want to end with um, some words from Tupac. And his mother was um, a Black Panther. And uh, I want you all to think about what a Black Panther represents and what the United States tried to change that into. And by the way, they did start the free lunch program that they snatched and tried to act like the state was. Anyways, can you see the pride in the panther as he grows in splendor and grace, toppling obstacles placed in the way? Can you see the pride in the panther as she nurtures her young all along the seed? must grow regardless of the fact that it is planted in a stone. Can you see the pride in the panther as they unify as one? The flower blooms with brilliance and outshines the rays of the sun. Let's get lit. <laughs>